but it's a great spiritual discipline. Because we need to talk about desire today. We're in a series, if you didn't know, walking through the book of James. We're going to go through the entire book, theoretically, by Thanksgiving. We may hold a few weeks till after Christmas. We'll see. I don't know. We'll trust the Spirit on that one. But the goal is to go through the entire book of James between now and Thanksgiving, the weekend of Thanksgiving. Um, so we are picking back up where we left off last week in, first, in verse 13 of James. But we need to talk about desire. Because desire is honestly, if, if, I don't know if when you became a Christian, if somebody said, okay, here's how you become a Christian, here's what you do once you're a Christian. But if they didn't teach you the role of desire in the faith walk, they missed a big piece of the puzzle. What you want matters because you do what you want. In fact, it really is part of spiritual discipline and part of spiritual growth is really about impulse control. Anybody else got wine taste in a beer pocketbook? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I want to put new floors in my house. I got to get the one that's 10 times more expensive than the other one, even though I can't afford it, right? We have this, oh, I want that car. Oh, you can't afford that car. Okay, I want that car. No, you can't afford that car. Like, and if we're just left up to our impulses, our, all of our, I had a pastor, a friend of mine, tell me this, he said, You're the, you are perfectly designed to be the person that you've, there's the sum of all the decisions you've made. Like, you've brought you to where you are right now. Every decision you made has brought you right to this moment and this time and this place. Oh, great. It's all my fault, right? You're, if you're not happy with your financial situation, it's your fault. If you're not happy with your romantic situation, it's your fault. If you're not happy with, oh, gee, this is an encouraging talk. You know what I mean? But you would have more money if you could control financial impulses, right? You would have better health if you could control impulses around food. <laughs> Am I right? It's like you go to a restaurant, it's like they have the grilled chicken option, but no, I want the fried with gravy on top, right? That's an impulse decision. Like I want that and I want it now. I can't drive by a Dairy Queen without an Oreo Blizzard. Just saying. Like that's pure impulse, right? And the spiritually mature, the disciplined person goes, nope, not having it. You know what I mean? But you're the sum of all your choices in food as well as much as you are anything else. So it's about impulse control. It's about the desires of your heart. In fact, any goal that you have ever set has come, has come about or not come about because of your ability to go, I am working on this goal and moving in this direction. Now, yes, there are external challenges. We'll get to that in a minute. But the idea that like, hey, I'm going to get a degree and finish it implies a few steps in between, right? Your ability to focus and study instead of watch YouTube, your ability to do work instead of Facebook at the office, your ability to spend time on your house in the evening so it's not a complete wreck is all about, I'd really rather just watch Netflix, but I really need to be doing this. You with me? What you want matters. Now, when you apply that to your spiritual life, I'd really rather sleep in, get up and read your Bible. Like, <laughs> it's, it's an impulse choice. It's a decision choice. We do what we want. It's not like any of us go, hey, I want to sin, except we do. We want what we want when we want it, even if we know it's not what God would want. Nobody sins doing things they don't like. <laughs> not really. If you think about it, what are the sins, right? What are some sins? Theoretically, partying too hard is a sin, right? 
Don't be drunk. Scripture says that somewhere. It literally says that. But some people want to because it's fun. I have to put quotes around it as a pastor. It's fun, right? I mean, it's fun. I want to do that even though I know it's wrong. Sex outside of marriage. Scripture tells us is wrong. We want to. Nobody goes, man, I really want to do this sin that makes me miserable. The things that we want, we want them because we know they're fun or they're, they fulfill or they fulfill something inside of us. And that's what we're really seeking. The reason we'll engage in a relationship way beyond the boundaries that God gives us is because we're looking for something in that relationship from that physical contact, from that relationship. There's an empty part of us that wants that. And we're choosing that to satisfy the want instead of the way God wants it satisfied or provides us with satisfaction. And so we choose sin or we choose the way God wants us to go in every set of circumstances. And it becomes down to who do you follow? What, does, what are your desires built around? What are your desires founded upon? What are you using to build those desires? Which is where we're going in James. It's really funny. Everybody talks about James being the book of works in a proverb book, but it's really about faith. We talked about that some last week. But in the second half of chapter one, he starts going, hey, you're either building a life in this direction or you're building a life in this direction. Not to put too fight a point on it. Look with me at verse 13 through 15 of chapter one. Because if we're going to talk about desire, then we have to ask the question that James asks. Where does temptation come from? First part of chapter 1, he talked about trials, right? We talked about last week, considering it pure joy when you face hardship because that hardship produces endurance. When you're faithful in the midst of trial, it proves or shows or demonstrates your commitment to following Christ. Then he pivots to verse 13, and he starts talking about temptation. By the way, side trick here, the word for trials in the first part of the chapter and the word for temptation here. Same word. Underneath. The, the Greek underneath is the same word. Trials and temptations. They're both challenges to us. And so when he says, in, consider it pure joy when you face trial. Because when you face through, through that trial, it creates endurance. The same thing can be true of temptation. Consider it pure joy when you face with temptation and stand up to it. Because it demonstrates your commitment to God. So that kind of begs the question of this passage. Where does temptation then come from? Verse 13. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But the one who is, one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire, when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. All right, let's pause right there. I told you we're going through all of James by Thanksgiving, and there's chapter, we're, not, we're still in chapter 1. This is going to be fun. All right, so 13 through 15. He says, where does temptation come from? He answers the question for you. He says, don't say God tempts me. And he gives you really in those two verses two reasons why he knows temptation doesn't come from God. The first one is it's contrary to God's nature. God cannot be tempted by evil and does not tempt you with evil. God does not go, all right, Charlie, you're on a health kick. Here's some chocolate cake. Let's see what happens. 
Somebody baked you chocolate chip cookies. Good luck with your health kick. He says, no one should say that God tempts you because he can't be tempted by evil. It's not in God's nature to tempt. It's not in his nature. Well, then that kind of does beg the question then, right? If it doesn't come from God, where does it come from? Verse 14, from the desires of your heart. Remember what I said about it matters what you want? Struggling with the temptation? Guess where it's coming from? Right here. I want that cookie and I want it now. It's coming from right here. I'm not saying cookies are sin. I'm not saying that. It's coming from right here. The desire, the want, the longing. Sometimes even a right longing we seek to desire, we seek to fulfill by sin. Because it's cheap, it's faster, it's easier. It's right there in front of us. It's available. Verse 14, he uses the word literally lured away and enticed. Like baited, literally, is the, is the context here. He's using a hunting metaphor. I'm not a hunter. I have one hunting story. I went dove hunting one time when I was 13 with my dad. I killed more Coke cans than dove. That's, that's the extent of my hunting experience. But if you're hunting something, or if you're fishing, if you're a fisherman, what do you use? Bait. And why does the fish bite a sharp metal hook? Because the bait is enticing. I know that much about fishing, all right? <laughs> because the worm, the juicy whatever you put on the hook, is enticing to the fish, and he bites it and finds out it is not what he thought. <laughs> He's lured away, at, lured, literally lured away, and enticed by his desires, the fish. Where does temptation come from? Things that we encounter that are alluring, that are enticing for us. And honestly, like the fish, when we, are, when we pursue sin, when we're baited into sin, it tastes like a sharp metal hook, at least eventually. Because look again at verse 15. This is really important. One of the reasons that desire is so incredibly, and such an incredible part of our faith walk. Verse 15. Then, when that desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. He uses, he, by the way, chapter one, he's got like metaphor, 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 metaphor. It doesn't stick with one. He's trying to make sure he drives on the point. He keeps giving you different pictures. Does the fishing lure work for you? No. What about birth? When, when that desire is conceived in your heart, how long... <laughs> After conception, is there a child? Right? It's not the next week. Thank goodness, that would be traumatic. It's usually nine months-ish, right? And the child grows until he's fully mature enough to live on his own apart from mom. And when you read verse 15, that's kind of how James is describing sin. Temptation, sinful desire is conceived in our heart and it grows. And it grows. And when it's fully mature, it gives, he literally says, it gives birth to death. So it's not, there are no oops, I sinned, no big deal, sins. A little white lie could be sin conceived. A, a small glitch here or there, oh, I kind of messed up again, or I really failed in this temptation again, even though it's a small sin, there's no consequences for anybody else. Maybe not. What about later? 
hey, I went to the casino one time, did some gambling, it was fun. Ooh, I really liked that. Gives birth, or is conceived, and it grows, and it grows into an addiction. Nobody wakes up tomorrow and goes, man, my aspiration, my annual, my 2022 plan, my 2022 goal is to become an alcoholic. Nobody does that. <laughs> Nobody says, hey, I really want to be so broke because I'm a gambling addict. How do I achieve that goal? Nobody sets that in front of themselves. Where does it start? A conceived desire in their heart that grows and grows, and when it's fully grown, gives birth to sin and death. Are you with me? James is like, yeah, the bait's enticing, but the bait is the hook, and it's the start of the process. And so if we are... The desires of our heart are sinful. Those desires grow into sin. And when they grow into sin, sin has consequences. The Bible says the consequence of sin is death. Eternal, physical, physical, like whatever you want to talk about it. Sin grows. There is no harmless sin. sin. In fact, you could put it this way. Sin reaches its full grown perfection in death. full-grown perfection in death. If the goal of a Christian is to be more like Christ, and in our Wesleyan tradition, to live in perfect love for other people, right? That if life inside of us, Christ inside of us, is to move us on towards perfection, towards becoming more and more like Christ, and that's our desire, and that's the direction of our life, then the opposite is also true. If we give our heart, if we build our heart around sinful desire... We are progressing toward death and not life. James is painting that picture. He's asking the question. Remember, he's being pastoral in this letter. He's wanting to know, are you committed in the face of trials? Are you committed in the face of temptation? Because if you are, when you're faithful, it will produce endurance. When you stand up against temptation, it will help you to be stronger the next time. But when you give in to temptation, it also will lead in the other direction as well. There is no, I've just been a Christian for 15 years and everything's flat. You're going one way or the other. You're either being baited and lured away or you're planting God's desires in your heart. Why do you think when we did silence and solitude, I said, ask God what your real desires are. It's a good gut check. What do you love most? But then he continues. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Do not be deceived. God doesn't plant evil in your heart. God does not tempt you. God does not give you sinful desires. Those come from you. Those come from our fallen nature. Everything that is good comes from God. If you want something beyond your imagination, like so bad, but you know that it's wrong, that desire is not from God. If you want to sin bad, that desire is not from God. Because everything that is good comes from God. Verse 16. Don't be deceived. 17. Don't be deceived. 
If it's good, God. If it's not good, not God. <laughs> right? Let's boil it down a little further than that, right? If you want something you know is wrong, that desire is not from God. We have no one to blame but ourselves for temptation and sin. That's why we need a Savior, by the way. That's why we need faith in Christ. Because if we're left to our own desires, guess what they would be? You ever meet like a two-year-old that has no life experience, but they're already really good sinners? You know what I'm talking about? You don't have to tell a two-year-old to disobey their parents. I don't have to sit down and teach Matthew how to disobey me. All right, Matthew, today's lesson, here's how you not listen to Dad. He instinctively knows how to do that <laughs> without even thinking. Sometimes deliberately in my face does the opposite of what I just told him to do. I don't have to train him. He knows because it's coming from here. He says, don't deceive yourself. Now, I said that the same word, temptation and trial, are the same word, right? Trials are things that really come from our circumstances, right? Illness, tragedy, hard job, whatever your life circumstances are. Those become trials. Temptation is internal. It comes from here. You don't always have control over your circumstances. When the doctor gives you the bad diagnosis, you have no control over that. But you do have control over what goes on in here. See the difference? Trial is external challenge for the most part. There's probably some exceptions to both these rules, but you get what I'm saying. Trial is the external challenge. Temptation is coming from our evil desires of our heart. And he says in verse 16, don't deceive yourself. And he kind of lays out how we tend to deceive ourselves in our spiritual walk in the rest of the chapter. But think about the gods, little g, that the people of James's day worshipped. Zeus, Aphrodite, you know, the Greek stuff. You ever go watch Clash of the Titans? Like, how do they talk about those gods? Zeus is like, I'm ticked off today. I'm going to zap them. Right? Beyond their control, they didn't do anything wrong. He's just going to take them out. <laughs> you know? Or he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed one morning and creates a whole other thing or whatever. If you go read Greek mythology, it's like they've got des- the, the gods are fallible. They've got desires. They, they get, they're tempted. They go into things. And they do things for arbitrary reasons. And that's the audience James is writing to. This God, the God of Scripture, is not like those gods. He's good. Everything that comes from him is good. What he wants for you is good. He's trying to move you in the right direction. Does that mean everything won't be a challenge? No, because you have trials. And when you endure them, it produces character and hope. And you have temptation. You resist it. And you demonstrate your faith. But he's not going, let's see how he handles this. He's not arbitrary. In fact, the verse we read before that says, God, there is no change in God. His nature, not only is it not a part of his nature to tempt, that nature doesn't change. So don't be deceived about God's goodness. Everything comes from God. So what do we do? Verse 19. Told you we're going to blitz all the way through James, a month, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is. Verse 19. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordiness and rank growth of wickedness. And welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. 
But be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. There's that self-deception part again. For if any of any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they are like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers but who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongue from the Do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts. Their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Hear the self-deception language in the rest of the chapter? The pastor is warning you. We trick ourselves into thinking we're okay. How many times have we said, I can't believe God let this happen or let God do, God do this to me? Don't be deceived about God's goodness. Then he says, don't be deceived thinking if you just read the Bible, that's good enough. <laughs> I read my Bible every day. I'm a good Christian. Do not deceive yourself. Not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. Don't deceive yourself into thinking just reading the Bible is enough, but actually living it out. Don't deceive yourself in thinking you're a Christian and don't have control over your tongue. Right? We'll get to that in a second. I'm going to pause and come back for a second. What does he say he implants in the heart of the believer? God implants in the heart of the believer. The word of truth. The word of life. Right? So, back way up. Desire, temptation. Temptation comes from our desires. That sinful desire is conceived, gives birth to sin. The word of truth, the word of life, God implants with us to make us His. God implants the word of truth in His children to produce life. Sin produces death. Word of truth produces life. So he says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. Quick to listen to what? You know, that passage always gets pulled out. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's a good proverb verse, right? It's true in that sense. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Ask your significant other, right? Should be quick to listen and slow to speak. But what's in the context, though, what's he saying be quick to listen to? The word of truth. God plants the word of truth in us so that we be the first fruits. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. In context, he's saying be, be quick to listen to what God has to say because that leads to life. Then he says, rid yourself of sinful desire. Implant the word of truth. Stay in Scripture. One of my favorite, he changes metaphors again, one of my favorite metaphors in all of Scripture. It's like a person who looks at a mirror and then goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. That's such a great, concrete picture. If you've ever gotten ready for work or ready for school or ready to go somewhere and you look perfect, and you're like, sweet, check me out, you know? Like, and then you leave, and five minutes later, you've got like a major booger hanging right here, and you don't even know it. <laughs> My youth pastor day is showing up a little bit, sorry. You've got a flaw. Your hair is out of place. Something's gone wrong, and you don't know until you look again in the mirror. 
You got something in your teeth. And so you go through the, the entire date like that, big green thing right here. And then you see a mirror and you go, ah! <laughs> That's what this picture is like. He says, hey, the scriptures are mirrored who we are. And so if we're faithful to read them, we will see ourselves accurately. And we will know how to go and do. Don't be the person who just reads it and then forgets about it. Because it's as if they looked in a mirror and then immediately forgot who they are and what they're like and went on about their business. Instead, the truth, the scriptures, the law, he quotes the law in here. What's the law? What God wants us to do with life. When you read the law, you go, oh, that's how a Christian lives. We did a whole series on it this summer. <laughs> Ten Commandments. You know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Like, whole. look at the law, and it tells you how you ought to live. Go and prove that that's who you follow by the way that you live. Don't deceive yourself that just reading is enough because you will forget. Why do you think the tongue is mentioned in this context? Do you know your tongue could cause you to sin? Well, you ever seen social media? <laughs> right? I mean, why would the son, the son, where did that come from? Why would the tongue be mentioned here? James says, don't deceive yourself. If you don't have control over your tongue, you're not a faithful follower of Jesus. Jesus' own words in Matthew 15, 18 through 19 say this. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intention, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that's what defiles. From out of the heart come evil intentions. Murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. Jesus tells us, where our temptations and our sinful desires come from. They come from a sinful nature that needs to be redeemed. And our mouth reveals what's going on inside of there. Whoops. <laughs> right? When we lie, we show the intention of our heart. When we deceive, we show the intention of our heart. When we gossip, we show the intention of our heart. What we glorify with our mouth tells us where our heart really, our alliance really lies. Out of the heart, it's what comes out of inside of you that defiles. Matthew 15. So where does that leave us? What are we supposed to do with this? Two things. One, you're not going to be perfect. Relax. <laughs> if you could be, you wouldn't need Jesus. I've made a pretty convincing case that we're not going to be. We're supposed to try. We're supposed to keep looking into the law to know who we are and how we should live because of who we belong to, to demonstrate who our faith is really in, not to earn our salvation. I could do this for like a whole other 20 minutes. I could do like a faith math thing. We won't do that today. We'll do it another day. But faith equals salvation, right? For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. I'm quoting Ephesians 4 or Ephesians 2 here, right? But James says, and we'll get this later. Oh, that's when we'll do the math. Not by, if you say you have faith, show me your faith by what you do. It's coming a couple weeks from now. So for James, what does he mean? Sounds like he's contradicting Paul. What does that mean? 
Come back that Sunday, I'll tell you. <laughs> but what James has said in this chapter is don't build your life around sinful desire. Build your life around the word of truth. How do you combat temptation? By looking into God's scriptural mirror. When you read scripture, it shows you who you are. It shows you what your real desires are. It shows you what you're relying on. It shows you how you're living your life. Is it the life that's leading to sin and death? Or is it the life that gives birth to eternal life and the inheritance of God? The way that we live, the practices, the habits that we practice, the things that we do that cultivate the desires of our heart determine the direction of our life. You're the perfect sum of everything you've ever done. So when you struggle with temptation, that sinful desire has been conceived, then the habits and the practices that you practice will either quench that desire or help it grow. That's why church is important. That's why prayer is important. That's why small group is That's why everything preachers tell you. <laughs> Those are spiritual practices. Silence and solitude. Bible reading. Small group. Small group, by the way, another mirror. Small group can go, you're not so good, dude. <laughs> if it's a loving, safe, trusting group that you're sitting with, they can call you on your stuff. And God can be speaking through them to you. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Or a sermon I've given before. The practices shape your heart. If you spend your day at church, how likely are you to go out on a gambling bench? I mean, you still can. You're human. You do what you want. But how likely? If you spend your day on the Florida coast at a casino, how likely are you to go to church? You see what I mean? What you focus on, what you build your desires on, the habits you practice are what conceive the desire. They shape the direction of your life. One gives birth to death. One gives birth to life. Let's pray. Gracious God, you've loved us anyway. And even as we struggle with trial and temptation, you've loved us anyway. In fact, you've promised us that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die for us so that we could be restored to who we were supposed to be. We confess to you this morning we don't always get it right, no matter how hard we try. We ask for your forgiveness over that. We ask that your spirit would empower us, that you would implant your word of truth in our hearts so that our whole life would worship and glorify you. In your precious son's name, amen.